Today is the last Sunday in our Pentecost series, but it's also the last Sunday in the month of June. So, in order for you to be familiarized with the life of the church, we encourage you to get your calendar for this month. It was very heartbreaking when in the, on Thursday when I gathered with the deacons, I asked them what's in the back of the calendar. <laughs> this was a reaction. So my heart was tabbed, my ego went down the drain, and guess what? I survived. <laughs> Big deal. But I want to make you aware what's behind the calendar. Typically, every month, I like to write a summary of the following month's teachings. So in the back of the calendar, you have a summary paragraph of what I'm going to be blab I mean, preaching about for the next four or five weeks, and then you have the title of the sermons. You are to find the Bible text from which I'm preaching, if it's in the Bible. <laughs> but uh, that's what's back here. Besides, there's announcements on the other things that are happening in our community. Thank you so much. The, the deacons gathered on, on Thursday, and they were upset. They were sad. They were broken. They have been pulling and receiving news that they, could, that they felt powerless about. Uh, I get to choose the topics and scriptures for worship, right, Reverend? We, we the pastor, has that right. Uh, what I don't get to choose, unfortunately, is the news. And when the news and the topic come together, I tremble. I'm getting used to it, though. It's happening so often, unfortunately. But today, as we come to the closing of our Pentecost series, which we have called the Covenant of the Spirit, that is why we have the umbrellas. For those of you who don't know what are those umbrellas about, they basically symbolize the protection that God gives us as individuals, as families, as people of God, that God protects us. God's promises, as we read earlier, are yes. They are yes to those who are in Christ. So we can rely on God's promises. We can rely on God's on God's blessing because God promised that He will be our God, that God will be our God, and we will be God's people. That is a, a, an assurance that we have and that secures us as people of God, that should empower us as people of God, and that should give us courage and purpose to become and make a difference in our communities. In our first message, for those of you who weren't here for four or five weeks, I, I, I basically was sharing that the God's energy is and has been dedicated to bring wellness to the church of Christ, to God's own creation, by forming a special people He called the church, God calls the church, and that that special people are embodied, and that the Spirit of God, by grace and in a very mysterious way, dwells within the individual. In our second week, we found out that the Spirit of God leads us to all truth. And one very relevant truth that we found out was, that, and we learn that Jesus is not American. He was before America and will be after America. He's not a nationalist and abhors racism, divisiveness behavior amongst God people. Jesus Christ is not for any country. Jesus Christ is the Lord of all countries. And I was saying, can you imagine? Can you imagine how many countries have been since the death of Jesus? Many. Some we can't even remember. Some we don't even have in the map. 
Europe was fragmented into small uh, state uh, uh, kingdoms. Many, many countries were out there. And many of those kingdoms have come up and have gone down. But what has remained since that period? The church of Jesus Christ, because Christ is the Lord over all history. In our third week, we discovered that this unity that God calls us to, this unity is very, very difficult. Our tendency and, and the easiest thing is to find that which divides us. Pat Dunn was reminding me this, this morning as we did the exercise here when we put two people back to back and we began to call out their differences. And every time they shared a difference, they would step away, away, and away. Then we began to call out the similarities and we found out that it was more easy to call out the differences than to call out similarities. And we discovered that in order to find real similarities, we could not just look or judged by the look, we had to ask questions. We had to get into the heart of the person. And then we found out that we were not as far away as we thought we would be. So unity is so difficult that God sent God's Spirit to make it happen. Because if it's up to us, it just doesn't happen. Then last week, I shared with the idea that the spirit of newness the Spirit of God with refreshes, renews us. It renews us in our life, renews our thinking, renews the way we respond. That that newness, that freshness of life is a gift from God as we stop being our own antagonists and begin to allow the Spirit of God to become the protagonist in our lives. Today I want to share with you that the Spirit of God moves to bring salvation to individuals. The Spirit of God moves to bring to us together in unity, and the Spirit of God moves us by grace to bring justice into our communities and into our world. So today, let's begin basically with how did the Spirit of God move in the past? Give me the next slide, please. The Spirit of God moved in the past to the prophets. Actually, the first verse that we read this morning reminds us as the Spirit of God moved over the face of the earth in Genesis chapter 1, way at the beginning of the chapter. We read, and the Spirit of God hovered, moved over the face of the earth. And the following words are, and then God said, and here we are. But then the Spirit of God began to move in the people of God. As God is forming a people, He called them prophets. He called them prophets. And the prophets were individuals. Some of them were lifelong prophets. Some of them, like Amos, worked and prophesied. He was a farmer of figs, and, and, and he left Tekoa. Georgia, no, not Tokoa, Georgia, another place. Uh, not Tokoa, Georgia. Uh, he left that place to be a prophet in the northern kingdom for three years. And then he went back to be a farmer. But each time God rose a prophet, it was needed because the prophecies needed to be proclaimed. God's ways needed to be proclaimed. And these prophecies in the old days were given by the Spirit of God. Many of the prophecies begin, the Spirit of God came upon Elijah, came upon Elisha, came upon Jeremiah, came upon Daniel, came upon Isaiah, came upon Ezekiel, came upon which one? There's 12 others. <laughs> Remember those 12? Yeah. So the Spirit of God would come upon them, 
and things would happen. They would mess everything up, literally. They would create havoc because they are proclaiming the words of God to the kings. They are proclaiming what's wrong, what God is, what God's complaint to the civil authorities and to the religious authorities. That was the ministry of the prophet. And also they taught the people the ways of the Lord. But when they were stood up in front of, of kings and in front of, of infidel and unfaithful kings of Israel, they were calling it out as it was. They were calling out unfairness. They were calling out, you know when was the worst part of Israel when the prophets really got into and God got into Israel? When Israel's economy was the best. When Israel's economy was the best, when there was hardly any unemployment, when they were doing business with the Philistines and in the Mediterranean in the, in the West and in the, with the Babylonians and the Syrians in the East, it was a very wealthy and prosperous kingdom. But Amos cries it out. They all cry it out. Habakkuk cries it out. You have all this wealth, and yet you're abandoning the poor. You're abandoning the helpless. You're mistreating the immigrants. Wow, that sounds familiar. That was the cry of God. And you know, it was against the poor. Who else? The immigrants, that was the mistreatment. And against the orphans. But guess what's the definition of orphan way back then? An orphan was any child or any family who did not have a male figure in it. So single moms were either a widow or an orphan with their children. So in those days... Orphans were not only the ones who had no parents, but orphans also included the one who didn't have a father. Because remember, women were property. And if your husband died, the brother of your husband took care of you, picked you up. And if he didn't like you, he would sell you. That's the way it was. So the injustices against the poor against the immigrant, against the, 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 the children, against the aliens. The prophet would speak to power, the truth to power. Said, You're doing wrong. Jesus once said that you will always have the poor with you. But you know what he was saying? You will always have the poor with you if you mistreat them. He was quoting Deuteronomy chapter 8 where he has the whole ethics on how a government should function. Pay fair wages. Take care of the weak and the vulnerable, the disabled, the poor, the elderly, the homeless. And then you will not have any more poors amongst your land. The Spirit of God moved in those days and would come in and would come out. But in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, we have a problem. The Spirit of God, like I have said... It's not going to come into the church and leave the church. It comes and it dwells with each one of us, and it dwells with us as a community. So the Spirit of God has come to dwell, and it never leaves again. In the book of, of, of Luke, we see how the Spirit moves Jesus. We've seen how the Spirit moved the prophets, but now we'll see how the Spirit moves Jesus. 
And Jesus was moved by the Spirit into the wilderness to deal with the temptations of Satan. And Luke also says in chapter 4, in chapter 14, chapter 4, verse 14, that he was also moved out of the desert in the power of the Holy Spirit, and he went into a synagogue, and he proclaimed the purpose for which he has come. And he said, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim the captives free, that the blind may see, that the oppressed will be set free. And in the time of God's favor, God's kindness, God's goodness has come. Jesus stood for women. Jesus stood for the disabled. Were not the leopards one of them? Jesus stood for the marginalized, for the poor, for the widows and the orphans. And now we know that the orphans include single parents. Jesus died for the salvation of each one of these individuals. But you see, like I always contend, Jesus is not only come for fire insurance. It doesn't stay in salvation. Salvation is what God gives us so that we can be assured, we can be solidly planted and have the courage to come together and to move into action to bring the kingdom of God. You see it? Salvation gives us a footing, the relationship with God, and no one takes that away from us. It gives us that footing. It gives us that stand that gives us the courage. That gives us the, then we can hear the command, go out. And change the world. Not as any political party suggests, but as Christ suggests. You know, the gospel is political. It is political. It has to be. Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ died in the cross because he was a political figure. According to the Romans and the Jews. He was messing it up for them. The gospel is political, but it is not partisan. And when I speak here of justice, I'm not speaking as a Democrat or as a Republican. I'm speaking as a prophet of God, speaking the words of God, speaking the ethics of Jesus as we understand them today, and crying out to the powers that be the truth of the gospel. That's what we do. Otherwise, we become a sick, pathetic, apathetic, conformist church that does nothing in this world but supports the evil by doing nothing and staying quiet. You see, the Spirit moves us to new things, not to live things the way they were. It has taken almost 300 years for us to realize in this country that black and white and Native American and Hispanic, we're all one in Christ. And yet somebody else is saying, no, we're not. This last week, I found out I was, a, I was an infestation as a Hispanic. How great is that? The dehumanizing language that's spoken not only about Hispanics, but about everybody else who's brown or LGBTQ, that is pathetic. They were treating people like things and taking away the glory, the integrity that God has placed in each one of our individuals. The church has to speak up. We are called, we're given the assurance of God's help. We're given the message of liberation, and we're given the example of moving out. The church has to move out. The vision has to be shared. God empowers the church to move out and be courageous and call it out and say the truth. A movement is formed. You know, when was the movement formed around here? Not when Light of Hope came open. That was not the movement. That's an institutional thing. You know when the movement began? 
when somebody saw children out there and we created a summer camp. That's when the movement of the Spirit began. When some other people began to see that there is hunger in our community, and this wonderful lady commits herself every month with her team to bring food and feed the hungry and feed the not only food, but fellowship and goodness and kindness. Those are movements of the Spirit. They're not institutional stuff. Those are movements of the Spirit. And God calls us to move, not to sit and wait for others to act. We are the ones to act, my beloved sisters and brothers. The Spirit moves us to live, to speak, and act in such ways that we will bring glory to God. The Spirit moves us in such a way that we, ha- we keep our heads, our hearts with God, our heads in the Word, but our feet in the ground to create change for everyone who comes in contact with us. Why is it that some of us, when we hear the cry of the African-American community, why black lives matter, we say, well, that, that's ridiculous because all life matters. No, there is a reason why that cry is out there. Why is there a crowd? Me too. Why is there that cry? Because there's a reason. Some people in particular places are being hurt. Women in this case. The powerful abusing of the women. That's why those movements take place, because they're addressing a pain. They're addressing an injustice. They're addressing something that the church is quiet about. Shame on us for being quiet. I'm going to give you an opportunity to cry out later on. But it's the church called to empathize with the stranger, with the alien, with the immigrant, with the poor, with the disabled with everybody who's vulnerable in our community, with the children running for safety. God, have mercy on us. You see, our salvation provides the courage. Our togetherness builds up the vision. And when we walk out together seeking justice, then we find peace, the shalom of God. Then we find the true Real reality of the church. This last Tuesday, our Presbyterian Church USA was meeting in St. Louis, and I love what I saw on the streaming. I wish I was there. Over a thousand Presbyterians and from the city and, and from the General Assembly, they did three amazing things in one day. They pay the bail, and like I read, to take the captives free of many people who unjustly have been imprisoned and are therefore weeks and months until their first viewing in the trial. How unjust. People that have in those situations, if you can't pay the bail, you're going to lose your job. You lose your job, you lose your car. You lose your car, you lose your apartment. It's a chain reaction. So we were out there and we paid the fines for dozens of people who were unjustly imprisoned. We also found a, a lot that the city had declared to be a park. And for five years, the lot just got worse and worse and worse. And 200 good old Reformed Presbyterians went on to work, including the Yavs, the young advisory boards of the church and seminarians. They went out there and they cleaned up the lot. But they didn't only clean it up. They organized it to bring sod. And they brought trees. And they brought benches. And they built a walkway as a gift of the Presbyterian church to that city. We also told our, our convention gatherers to bring your own cleaning supplies, bring your own shampoo, bring your own soap. Oh, but doesn't the hotel provide that? Yeah, but we want you to take the ones from that the hotel gives you every day, put it away, and at the end of the conference, we're going to put them all together and give them to the homeless and to the poor in the city. That is 
proclaiming the gospel. And they were chanting, this is how theology looks like. It is. This is how the church looks like, shouting in the street. Could we try it? This is how the church looks like. I'll say it once and then you shout it back. This is how the church looks like. No, not really, because we're in here. <laughs> if we were out there, we would be making a difference. We'd be making a statement. So let me invite you. This coming Saturday at 9 o'clock in the morning, we will have a demonstration out there in the street. We will go out there with our banners, asking for justice, for a humane, fair, and just immigration law. I don't know what that means. I'm just asking God for that. We're going to be out there in demonstration for the rights of the elder. Did you know that the American Disabilities Act is about to be dissolved and disappear? For the disabilities, for fair housing, for fair wages. What is your plea? What is your plea? What is your heart crying for? For better education for our children, right? Why not? Why not? Why not? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere. In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, in the uttermost parts of the world. O oh, people, the Lord has told you what is good. And this is what is required of you to do. To do what is right to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. And one last one to remind us. If someone says, I love God, I love Jesus, but hates a brother or a sister, that person is a liar. For if we don't love people, we can see how can we say that we love God whom we cannot. Let us pray. Dear God, we thank you because your gospel tells us the truth. Sometimes it hurts. Sometimes it requires us to move away from what was comfortable. And your grace and your spirit facilitates for that death and that resurrection in our lives. We thank you that we have the freedom to speak out. That's why we do it, and we thank you, Lord, for that freedom in our country. But we also have the responsibility to call it out when injustices are just too much. Actually, we have to call out injustice, Lord. We don't have to wait till they get too bad. For hundreds of years... We have been looking at each other differently and creating structures that separate us, that bless one and not the other. Well, that's have to come to an end, O oh God. For hundreds of years, this church and the church of Christ in this country has believed that unity is uniformity. When you have created diversity and blessed it, O oh God, forgive us. Let us be true to the true church, to the true call of Jesus Christ, that we are all one in Christ, no matter our social standing, no matter our race, which is only one human race, 
but we live in this lie of many races. Forgive us for even believing that lie, for you have created only one race. But we ask you, Lord, to move us through your Spirit to be effective in this community, to love as we have begun to do, not to create another institution, but to become a movement of your Spirit where love, compassion, justice, holiness, fellowship, kindness, forbearance, forgiveness, reign in our, our values. We thank you for that. We now pray for brothers and sisters from our congregation who are sick. Some are here, O oh Lord. We ask for your hand of healing, your hand of encouragement, and the peace that goes beyond any other standing. We pray for Maria who's in Puerto Rico and just yesterday laid down her daughter and her uncle in a ceremony. And when they come back, we ask for your spirit to be with them too. We pray for those who are traveling this week from this community. We also pray for our neighbors, our Burger King staff and our church's chicken. We pray for them, Lord. We pray for the hospitals, for all the medical staff around us, for the business community around us. We pray for teachers, for their safety, and for them to be encouraged to teach the best to their students with love and compassion and excitement. Above all, Lord, we thank you for Jesus who got himself in trouble and gets people of faith in trouble still for crying out that which his God and his Father abhorred. Keep us, O oh God, faithful to him who taught us to pray by saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Lead us not into temptation, but from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.